Hello and welcome to episode number nine of our podcast. My name is Elliot Greenman. I'm Alexia Naylor. And this podcast is all about uh, some definitions of some words that we've been Yeah, where we were about. trying to, we struggled a bit and we looked on Google to look at exactly what it meant. We were not too far off those things, but it was, we used quite a lot of words who have quite a broad definition and we needed to make it a bit clearer uh, to all of you uh, on our podcast, basically. So, yeah, it's an interesting uh, one. Indeed. Yeah. Again. Yeah. And as always, if you have any questions, comments, or want to like it or want to share it, please feel free to do so. Yeah. We, um, we like human interaction again. Yeah. Always. Always. And enjoy. Bye. Perambulations in Franglais. Cool. So let's talk about these definitions. Yeah, well, yes, that was a main jig of things, really, to try to define a few words that we use on a regular basis. So we've done that uh, online course about persistent pain versus acute pain. And it took us a couple of hours to really go in depth with that, really, and because that's what we are really interested in, really. And it uh, encompasses quite a few words that have uh, really quite specific meanings in a way. Come a little bit further away from it. Yeah. And um, so, I, the, so the words we spoke about. Well, yeah, there was like um, humanism, which we talk a little bit about, and that humanistic approach yeah. that we have, which is like really a patient-centered uh, approach. It's about the experience person, the person has and the fact that he can use his reason to actually find the solution to the problem in a way, really. So, but it's really centered on the person. It's not like, uh, like a group type thing or like a cult or a, a religion or something like that. It's really more about uh, uh, patient-centered or client-centered or human-centered. So is humanism, humanism is like the, is it like the psychology or like the practice of pay, like individual of being uh, exactly 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 so the i think there's individualism into it as well the fact that you know a lot of your rights and the i'm not even too sure how to say that really properly really articulated really well really but there's in the law as well of the land we are judged by others uh, and we have a, a certain rights to be innocent before pre proven guilty all those kind of things really so there's quite there's quite a lot of focus on that uh, individual rights as well with that humanism part of things really which is a bit under threat at the moment with all the group identity Mm. Uh, movement there is with all that uh, radical left a bit which actually talks about which subdivides and, and group people is a collectivist type thing really you are not you who dare you to speak out on your own when actually you're part of a subgroup and a class and a gender and uh, a diet and a type of uh, uh, training and <laughs> You do functional rehabilitation and I do paleo diet and I'm a vegan and I'm a, I'm a non-binary person. Yeah. So we, we belong to groups like that, but mm. actually, it, yeah, it's an interesting way of doing it differently. The humanistic stuff talks about you as an individual, basically, and all what it encompasses, basically. How's individualism different from humanism? Or, or is it? I'm not exactly sure. Okay. It, it must be a bit... Humanism must be... Individualism must be part of humanism. Mm. Yeah. So <laughs> Type thing, really. I got the the oracle consulted the oracle google yeah humanism the the noun is described as a rationalist outlook 
or system of thought attaching prime importance to human rather than divine or supernatural matters. That's it. That's it. So it's a rational thing. Yeah. So, so you you use your you use your rational mind basically, and and it predicates the fact that you are able to use your rational mind. You know, when we do the human givens, in the human givens, you got one of that, one of that uh, um, resource you have is your rational mind. Mm. And one of the resources you have is your imagination. Mm. Those kind of things. Really. And, and, the two, the two. and you do actually have those two resources, but sometimes you only have one. And you get access to one. So after we could talk, <coughs> I think we talk quite a fair bit about catextia. Because mm -hmm. I think there was quite a lot of criticism in the recent century, let's call it like that, or maybe middle of the 1800s, about, or maybe even before in the 1700s as well, with that humanistic type thing about the rational uh, aspect of it. We are we able to be rational? That was the whole problem, really, a bit, really. And obviously, there's that catechistic which uh, Joe Griffin and Ivan Tyrell have coined that term, which is the arousal level you are under tends to limit your ability to use your reason. And, and, or actually, not so much that way, but it actually blinkers you and it restricts the field of, uh, of thought you could have in order to articulate your thought, basically. I think that's maybe a bit better way of mm. describing the whole thing. I might, I might make a, a bodge of it again on, on defining the whole thing, but I think it's really, it's really that. It's that tunnel vision that prevents you from being very rational and you get, you get a bit black and white in your way of thinking instead of being gray or light gray or dark gray, whatever already. Okay. Or maybe a little bit of color. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, but black and white mm, yeah, yeah. type thing. Really, it could be some color as well. Yeah, and it would be so that would be maybe bringing your imagination into the world because out of white there's all the colors, and out of out of black there's there's no color because black and white are not color anyway. Black and white are not colors. White's all color. They're valors. They're yeah. valors. I think that's what they call them. Anyway, so the catextia part of it is preventing us to really be too reasonable, basically, and, and too rational, and using our rational mind a little bit, okay? Mm. And at arousal level, from, from the, a bit of flight and fright um, engagement, tends to, um, has worked very well to try to make us survive in certain dangerous and life-threatening situations because we had a tunnel vision and we would watch just the one tree and we would not get distracted when the saber-toothed lion was actually after us, basically. And we would just focus on the escape plan instead of being distracted by the daisies and the dandelions and how fluffy the clouds were on the day and it, it was smelling really nicely of sherry blossom today and then oh, it'll be eaten basically so it, it was quite an interesting way to actually function and we've been bred or bred out of getting uh, um, not focused enough when we were aroused basically can you be cartextic on the other end so that's it that's it that's it that's it too yeah. contextually blind to being rational so you're like way too way imaginative, too like, way too that's it that's it or like that yeah yeah psychotic is that's it that's it that's it and schizoid a mm. little bit so you could maybe be far too it would be far too difficult for you to focus onto something so you, your view is far too broad mm. and 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 you're not able to focus on it because I guess the catexia is to maybe uh, preventing you from going in and out of focus with your mind onto things really. So a problem needs to be, you need to focus on one thing to get as much definition as possible on the whole problematic and then be able to step back to re-look at the problem a bit because otherwise you lose focus on the whole thing really and then you refocus on another part of it and then you come back of it and then, and then that enables you to really articulate it precisely at a very high definition 
definition um, pattern really mm. which is what we are trying to do with some of the course a little bit in that heuristic fashion so we are trying to have a loose um, approach to help people to guide people to get that experiment for them to be able to get a bit better with their uh, persistent pain and we frame we framework it a little bit and we guide them in following that pain gate uh, model and it enables them to use whatever resources they have at their disposal they don't have to follow our our Uh, model to the letter basically so they've got a little bit of leeway to be able to reopen the whole lot and be quite imaginative about how they're going to do it really okay mm-hmm. which I think is the definition of heuristic basically is that is um, that loosely loosely ruled uh, experiment a little bit that enables you to learn about yourself maybe Or about to learn, uh, uh, um, I think to learn, I think it's a learning process that is done and a, a scientific process that could be done with certain rules which are not too, not too restrictive. It's almost like energy saving. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, like yeah, that's a, it, that's it, that's so it. A like bit. Enabling that Google, yeah. the Oracle says enabling a person to discover or learn something for themselves that's it for themselves that's yeah. it so heuristic process or method it's kind of like you set you almost have these methods to prevent you from like di- di- diverging like, too like, far uh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and losing track of, yeah. of what you're trying to achieve and therefore yeah. you need to be brought back in focus a little bit but not too not too stringently Yeah. Not too much in focus. So uh, the whole pain gate with that uh, uh, peripheral and central modulation, it applies very nicely. It's the way pain signal is is uh, put together in the br- from the brain to the body, really, and from the body to the brain. So why not use that <coughs> and the different tissues and addressing them and the different uh, models like the APET model, APET, the activating agent, the pattern matching, the emotion or sensation and uh, thought basically and and having those kind of models is helping us to uh, not uh, like be focused on a, on a solution but we still have the ability to do it our way mm. not everybody has to do it the same way which is quite an interesting interesting way so it's quite but whilst using our reason so we need to be quite reasonable and or reasonable rational we need to use our rational mind basically so we we have sequenced the whole thing a little bit and we leave it to you to be a bit imaginative about how you want to do it because we're going to describe several techniques to do it but there's hundreds out there and as long as it applies for dealing with your organ there's no problem at all Hmm. Or if, there's, if that's a way for you to um, uh, deal with your uh, being a complete control freak or a status freak and your status freakness uh, and to, for you to realize that the difference between how much status you have and how much status you think you have and the discrepancy with, between the two and you're able to diminish it, you can do it however you want. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter. If it works for you, it works for you. It works for you, that's it. There's no problem. So the other word that we mentioned on the course that I thought could do with a bit of defining was yeah. Cartesian. Ah, uh, Cartesian. Cartesian. Yeah, yeah okay. so Descartes, René Descartes. Well, so we talk about modernism a little bit uh, now. So um, we talk about the 17, mid-1700s where the Enlightenment, we come out of... Well, it's not mid-1700s, it starts... Uh, at the end of the Middle Age, so uh, late 1500s, where 
so the end of the Ottoman Empire or, or the discovery of the Americas by Christopher Columbus. So there's a big change in terms of religion, there's a big change in terms of commerce or possibilities, there's a big change into the method, the scientific method. We start to put that into place. Uh, Galileo, Galilei, all those guys, Copernicus, like Newton, all those big guys like Bernoulli, um, uh, Lavoisier, all those complete nutcases who've organized the whole stuff and have thought about things that we don't seem to think too much about nowadays, really. But our society is really built onto that, really. Mm. Okay. So Rene Descartes was one of those and he we, I think, look at that Cartesian way of thinking because it's that rational way and that sequential way of doing the whole lot, a little bit. So we, we tend to use our left brain if we could summarize it like that, really. But maybe the oracle has got a much more articulate way of describing it, really. But it's, it's really a certain way of thinking that uh, uses your, your rational mind. I would say, which, which is your left brain, and it sequences it really nicely, really. Yeah, well, defined Cartesian says relating to Descartes, Descartes and his ideas. <laughs> that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. Let's see what, um, what Descartes' ideas were. But I think there's a dualism. Yeah, there's, so there's quite a lot. Cartesian dualism. That's it, that's it, that's it, exactly. Division of something conceptually into two opposed or contrasted aspects or the state of being so divided. That's it. So, and uh, Cartesian, I think we applied it on our course because of the mind-body uh, being sep two separate entities, basically. Mm -hmm. When actually we are definitely of the school of thought in our course and in light of that uh, polyvagal theory especially and uh, Mr. Porges, which is absolutely a, 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 a excellent with, and, and I think it's a bit revolutionary yeah. to look at the, at the brain and the body or at being bi-directional feedback mechanisms. Your body informs your brain and your brain informs your body in a way and it works both ways. So we can't... It's like... So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and I guess after the whole Cartesian dualism and dualism like that, I think there is a part of it where is the mind in the brain. So yes, the vagus nerve is going to influence your uh, um, brainstem and maybe bring that to your higher centers. So it's really the brain in a way. And, and that is going to maybe help you to uh, be a bit more conscious about things. So after this consciousness discussion under the whole lot, we, we are not having ontological discussions too much about the stuff or philosophical discussion about the stuff and what consciousness is because I don't know if anybody knows what consciousness is anyway but mm. the, the fact that that Cartesian way of looking at things and, and what I tend to refer a lot of the time about the tissue causing pain and the focus there is on the tissue causing pain and the diagnosis about things tends to really stifle people's ability when in persistent pain because obviously when you got pain in your arm and you're very short of breath and you got crushing pain in your chest and you're getting blue and your lips are purple and you're, f you're passing out, obviously a diagnosis of a heart attack uh, is actually quite an interesting thing to do. So we know what to do next really, mm -hmm. okay? And uh, nitric oxide might be quite a good thing under your uh, tongue to dilate a bit your coronary arteries, N no doubt. Okay, but when it comes to persistent pain, the diagnosis is far less relevant compared to the experience people have of things, really. Okay, yeah. of the whole thing in their life, individually, in a way, because it doesn't apply to everybody the same. Okay, so I think that's where we wanted to go with that Cartesian way of thinking and that may mostly that division between the mind and the body, in a way, really. Or the brain and the body. <laughs> yeah. Or address, like addressing that division and readdressing it as a whole. 
a hole. That's it, that's it. It's a one thing. Yeah. It's a one mechanism. And, and your body informs your brain and your brain informs your body. Yeah. And maybe your mind plays some part in that whole, whole aspect of it. Mm. So it's about on Somehow. the course every time you talk about cut, you always talk about coming away from the Cartesian way of thinking. That's it, that's it, that's it, that's and it. To try to make it an all-encompassing yeah. uh, process. Really. In, in when, when we're talking about persistent or chronic pain. Chronic, that's, that's it, that's it, that's it. Yeah. Even like the whole chronic aspect of it and things like that. Anyway, the, def- the way we define it is quite an important thing, really. Those were the, um, those were the only three that, we, that I got down. You got down, that's it, that's yeah. it. All the rest, okay. everybody was really... We were quite well, clear about it already. We'll see. That's we'll it, that's we'll it, that's find it. out. We haven't put anything Thank God out. the Oracle was there to put us back in the straight and narrow a little yeah. bit, really. Yeah. But always. Yeah. So, no, I guess we might have to include a little glossary and bits and bobs or yeah, links. Yeah, I'm sure there'll be more. Links to... I'm sure there'll be uh, a number of really definition but. videos that we need to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Why... Um, I know we've spoken about this before, but I might just get you to try and explain it again. Why is it that you like to call it persistent pain, not chronic? Um, yeah, so the chronic pain is something that never ends. It's chronic. It's it's uh, like a, a never-ending process, basically. Mm-hmm. Compared to a persistent, it it's uh, finite in time. Basically, it might last a long time, but it will, there's a, a possibility of an end mm. to the whole lot. When it's chronic, it means there's no, there's no end to it. Yeah. So that's it. It's so, so yeah. it's setting the scene of the story to be. That's it. That's it. That's it. To, to be, be defined. And it, and it's, and it uh, enables people who suffer from persistent pain uh, to become uh, chronic pain sufferers. And therefore, they tend to have a lot of secondary gain from that. Despite being in lots of pain, they got secondary gain because it defines them, really. So the pain becomes part of them, really. When actually, it should be only... They become a, a chronic pain warrior, basically, or whatever they, you want to call yourself, really. But some people having sciatica is just an annoyance as part of the rest of their life in a way really and they are not defined by their sciatica they are uh, John Smith who suffers from sciatica Hmm. that's it he's not a sciatica sufferer really in that way of thinking I think it's quite quite important because it's someone who suffers from something, not a sufferer who also that's it. does other things that's it, that's it. in life. That's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. Yeah. A sufferer trying to live rather than someone living who suffers. That's it, that's it, that's it. Yeah. Which is really, yeah, it's a booby trap that we quite easily fall into. But um, I guess that's because Spain has got really a very special position in, in even in philosophical... Um, uh, in the philosophy or in our way of thinking in our experience of life and things like that really um, you cannot tell somebody that the pain they experience is not real mm. that's the whole thing because mm. there's nothing more real than pain that, that's, that's the p- tricky part really and, and what we want to try to bring to people's attention is a bit the way our brain functions or maybe our mind even functions and our consciousness is on about and pain is quite central to that the whole suffering process the whole the difficulty we have to uh, go through a little bit and mm. and um, a lot of uh, uh, people especially and we really like uh, uh, Jordan Peterson who talks really eloquently and very in a very articulate fashion about it because he talks about all responsibility how much the heaviest load you need to carry and carrying a load is well not an easy thing to do and therefore you have to sweat a bit you have to be uncomfortable basically and and you need to be in an in an always uncomfortable position in order to be able to move forward, basically. And often, uh, thinking that if nothing changes, we're going to be in a comfortable position is maybe not true. 
and maybe a lot of us being stuck into who we are and what we do uh, tends to create pain that's the thing really and the pain is a driver for us to uh, go forward and or for others is to stop and to become a victim in a way mm. really and all that part really which is which is fine really so because it's ways of doing this it's great to have different ways of doing mm. about the whole thing really but but if you could be less heuristic about why you're experiencing pain that, and maybe uh-huh. draw a, bit, a different conclusion rather than my body's just mm-hmm. backfired mm-hmm. and wrong Maybe not heuristic, but more Cartesian about the whole way and uh, splitting it a little bit. Mm-hmm. We, we want pain to be a, a bit like a, a meaning generating process. Mm. Communicator. A, a communicator or something that uh, asks for your attention or commands your attention. And the main pitfall we fall into is we focus on the tissue causing pain solely and uh, the tissue causing pain when you have uh, when you can see your ankle bone because you've rolled it it's obviously that it's broken okay and your pain is is not you don't have elbow pain when you just broken your uh, your ankle okay so it's quite an accurate representation of something being broken and that's the acute pain and it's really involved with uh, inflammation and swelling and and decrease in mobility and heaps of pain okay and tissue damage but uh, down the line six or plus week later if you still have pain in your ankle it's not solely the tissue causing pain that your brain or your mind is com- is commanding you to pay attention to. It's as well, what is it you use your ankle for? So maybe you can't play tennis anymore. Oh, why would playing tennis be such an Im- a thing you need to pay attention to? Because uh, maybe you play doubles, so there's four people involved. Maybe you go a bit of a social after you've been playing tennis. Maybe you have t- you meet other people. You go to David Lloyd's, uh, wherever, and then you get to, you have a little uh, beer with everybody, and you natter about the whole lot and things. So you have a bit of meaningful relationship with other people. But during the game, you completely lose yourself, so you can distress yourself really well, and it flows. Time tends to vanish or shrink or whatever and you're part of a community because it's a group and then maybe you go on holiday with them in the summer you go on a, a, a tennis camp or whatever you can go to Dubrovnik because they do that in you can travel all those kind of stuff that's what your ankle reminds you and the pain in your ankle reminds you of it's what you can do and what you could do with your ankle So the, tish, the ankle bone and your uh, distal anterior tibiofibular ligament discomfort is one thing. Yeah, yeah, great. But we have to stop uh, thinking solely like that, really. We need to add a bit of breadth and meaning to the world. So another way of defining the pain in your ankle is what, what is it preventing you what, of doing? Mm. Or what is it enabling you of doing? Because you can whinge and be with your crutches or in your um, uh, in your uh, um, wheelchair. Uh, wheelchair and get attention from people and people are oh, poor you and saying and and therefore you get you get loads of attention because that enables you something as well. If it en- prevents you from doing something, it enables you to do something. Mm-hmm. And it's not super clear sometimes <laughs> whether the things that it prevents you doing is a bad thing. It could be actually quite a very good thing. And what it uh, it uh, enables you to do is maybe not such a good thing. Mm. Anyway, that's a different thing. And then <coughs> there's a third level of, which is quite an interesting thing, which adds a bit more information and a bit more meaning, is the archetypal part of it, really. So what is it all the humans have been doing since we are humans with their ankle? What is it you do with your hip? What is it humans do with their hips? What is it does it, what does it means to have a hip? How is it we, what is the metaphor behind, um, your neck? A neck, a human neck. What is it we do with our neck? What is it you do with your wrist or your hand? What is it you do with your eyes or your ears or, I don't know, your shoulder, for example. So, 
There is as well a bit to do with that, really. And it helps you to define some a bit more human attributes and psychological uh, um, processes at play in order to, which are a bit more, which helps you to resolve even more precisely what could be happening to you, really, and what you have to pay attention to, really. So the hip or the, the knee is a perfect thing. The knee is great, really, because when you got knee pain, you share with the 7 billion people on earth uh, a knee, uh, two knees, actually. So there's 14 billion knees, which is quite an interesting thing. And now that we know there's been, there's more people living on earth today than there's ever been since man has been man. So we could double that. So there was 20, there's like, there's 28, there was 28 billion knees. <laughs> you know, so far, in a way, because there might be a bit more in the future already, okay? Obviously. But it means that archetypally, we have to contend with the symbolic behind and the metaphor behind what the knee does. And I always tend to tell people, even to go back to a bit of a lower resolution about the tissue causing pain, I'm always like, well, where is your knee, really? If it's not between your hip and your ankle, I'm not too sure where it is, really. And it's not so much stating the obvious, really. Okay? And your your knee is really enabling, enabling you to change the shape of your leg, which sounds really daft, really. But it means you have to pay attention to change. Maybe. So it would be like the, the, your ability to focus on what is it humans do with their knees, in a way. And it's becoming even quite peculiar with that, really, because you come out of your house with a bad knee and you can see everybody who's got a bad knee. And the day before having a bad knee, you could not see people with a bad knee. It's quite peculiar, really. So let's say you want to eat, stop eating cake. Oh, it's January. It's January. This, you need to be vegan. Mm. Or, or dry. Or dry. Exactly. Dry January. So you don't drink any alcohol. The, on January the 2nd, there's some people in the street with beer cans drinking in front of you and you can see only alcohol you pass all the pubs you can notice inside the pub people pouring pints all the rest your brain is focused on the thing on the thing you can't really get really in a way it's quite a peculiar thing really mm. you must see a lot of slaughterhouses when you go when you go vegan really you, met, you must be even more people in a restaurant you must see only people eating steak around you or the rest really which must be quite interesting in a way okay mm. you're hyper aroused by certain things and you you pay even more attention to that really yeah. okay? every time someone first mentions the like they've seen a new car on the new registration plate that's it, that's it, that's it. Walk out of pretty much, it happens every time, walk out of where I've just had that conversation. That's it. And the new plate goes, that's it. Fine. Because you, you're more wanting to pay attention, not wanting, but you pay attention to it mm. a bit more, really. When actually beforehand, it had not been brought to your attention, basically. So pain is really great because it brings a lot of things to our attention. It commands you to pay attention to all those different layers. And, and, and the, uh, retropath, the chondromalacia retropatellae is interesting. And the tracking of your kneecap is great. What was, what was the translation of what you just said? So chondromalacia retropatellae. So it's the wear of the cartilage behind your kneecap. Hmm. Okay? Because of your tracking. So it's quite a common thing with women, more than men. Because so of, because, but yeah, because of the Q angle. Because that's it, really. Men don't give birth to children, to babies. It's really so unfair. Mm. So unfair. I'm, I'm, I'm really be, beside myself. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so women suffer more from uh, cartilage damage behind their kneecap because of the Q angle and uh, the way their pelvis is put together is mm. a bit wider, which actually increases the angle at the knee and the vastus lateralis and intermedialis and all the part of the quadriceps is actually pulling your kneecap outwards. 
and you go only your vastus medialis to bring it in. And therefore, the, on the condyle, the kneecap should really work quite well, but because it's slightly pushed to the lateral part of it, it tends to wear more readily, basically. Okay? So, yeah, that's what you need to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. And you need to change the tracking of your kneecap, which is great, really. But you need to pay attention to, all of a sudden, you have to change the tracking of your kneecap. So you have to change. And the knee is about changing the shape of your leg. And it's enabling you to put one foot in front of the other. So it enables you to go forward. So if you are not having a very good knee, you might not be able to change yourself well enough in order to put one foot in front, uh, in order to go forward, really. Okay? So people with, uh, with uh, bad knees tend to uh, have to pay attention to all that. If they want to maybe uh, have to pay attention to less to their knee, really, in a way. And have attention to spend or pay on other things that they would rather pay. Yeah, but that's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. So that's where we we talk about the Tower of Babel a little bit in that scripture and uh, the transformative type thing. It brings a bit of chaos a little bit to have uh, different languages spoken which actually capsizes uh, or, or prevents the, the venture to actually be finalized. Be successful. Successful, basically, okay? And, and that's <coughs> your, your body, the language... If we were to look at pain and the body part as a language and a, like the definition of the language is underlying meaning to a sentence, you could have even a metaphorical meaning to the sentence, the sentence that's got word, word is needing to be organized in a grammatical fashion and words are made of letters and letters have to be sequenced in a certain fashion to make a word. So you got like a, you need to really go into a bit of a focus part or a broader part. Mm. And I think the pain you're experiencing and the way you can uh, sequence it tends to really help you to figure out how to make it better, basically, mm. and to have to pay attention to something else, really. And, so, and so the Tower of Babel example is like the, the story of the Tower of Babel's people building a tower yeah. to heaven uh -huh. and then is it that God changes everyone's language or yeah. like and then split divides the language up and so they yeah. can't communicate and they can't finish the tower that's it so they can't get that's, to heaven so that's, that's the idea in this case is that pain is a language that maybe we don't understand uh -huh. individually as well as well as we could or in a, as precise or at different level at, at the different level of a language mm. Yeah. And in some ways, painkillers or maybe painkillers are preventing us from figuring out how to communicate in the in the story of Tower Babel or, yeah, yeah. or in, oh, with pain. Yeah, because we don't we don't really want to get close to God. We want to have some headspace. Yeah, that's I the mean, whole self, really, uh, because headspace is enabling us to figure out maybe for some people that, not only that, one problem that metaphorically would be getting close. To God, because not having much headspace is pretty tiring. Ah, yeah, yeah, but no, no, it's the same thing. It's yeah. the same thing. So the uh, pain focuses your attention onto the one thing, and it commands quite a lot of attention from your brain to pay attention to that part, to the way you use that part, and to how everybody else uses that part, mm -hmm. or in a metaphorical fashion, in a way. Okay, and therefore all that headspace cannot be used to do something else. To because it might not be in your life if you've got problem with change. If if you got problem with going forward and if you got problem with your knee <laughs> and if you have to pay attention to all the others who've got the same weakness than you all of a sudden you don't have much you must have quite a fair bit to deal with really and, and the attention you have to pay to all that is preventing you from watching the daisies and the dandelions and the fluffy clouds really and therefore it's not your experience of reality is maybe a bit restricted basically mm. when actually yeah the path of the journey is interesting but uh, we want it to get easier and easier because we get better at uh, solving problems on a different definition of, uh, of acuity, acuity 
We get a bit more focused on the whole thing, a bit broader, a bit more focused, a bit broader. Mm. Or I tend to talk about like the forest and the tree in the territory. Really. So you, you've got the, you can pay attention to just the one tree and you forget and the forest is in completely blurred thing. You don't even see the trees in the forest really. Mm. When actually being able to zoom out away from that tree and to be able to see there's a forest, there's lots of more trees to focus on really. Mm. <laughs> That's the main problem really. Both have their benefits. And both have their benefits really that's the thing really but being focused and being completely drawn towards the, just the one tree is difficult and that's that the whole diagnosis problem really well, the diagnosis I've got, I've got fibromyalgia so yes you go you end up looking at just the one tree uh, the fibromyalgia tree the fibromyalgia tree when actually fibromyalgia is many many trees Mm. that's the problem really and it's also probably right next to a lot of other different chronic trees that's it that's it that's it that's it that's it and so there's instead of it just being let's say you know i suffer from fibromyalgia mm -hmm. maybe there's a lot of similarities to other people who yeah. have been diagnosed with yeah. chronic fatigue syndrome or that's it that's something it. similar yeah, yeah. or post-viral or something yeah. like that and and depending on how we define it and how we diagnose it really but it doesn't reflect so much the individual experience of people when they have it and it doesn't help them to figure out how to get out of it because you become really good at knowing the tree you're focusing on all the time and you get a little bit hooked on how the tree smells and tastes and feels and how it looks all the rest really and you get hooked on it really mm. you, get, you get very good at being I don't know if you you know but it's difficult sometimes to really look at it from that fashion really because we could talk about rheumatoid con seronegative rheumatoid conditions we could talk about loads of things that are that we don't quite know how triggered they are really the etiology of it really in a way really and many etiologies of seronegative rheumatoid conditions is to do with a, a, a gut infection or something like that. So you get like, a, a, I don't know, Giardia or you get like a Tommy bug or something like that, E. coli, something like that. And then you get really quite poorly. And then when you recover from that, you get a, your, your immune system is attacking your uh, joints really. So it becomes quite interesting, really. And then... That's a bit of a different... Um, but the immune system it can be seen like a little bit your personality because it's dealing with others. Hmm. You know, HLA, human leukocyte antigen, is self-non-self. -self. Rheumatoid condition is your immune system attacking yourself. So it's not too far from thinking that the metaphorical representation of that is quite an interesting thing. You're, there's something you can't stand in you, maybe. And therefore, you want to destroy it. And therefore, your immune system is turned towards it, really. It's doing the same. It's doing the same, really, in a way. Okay? And it would be quite interesting to look at a few researches or to have a few researches, I'm not too sure if they are or not, about maybe uh, psychiatric profiles and uh, immune system. I don't know, like people who are really aggressive, really angry and things like that could have maybe quite a powerful part of their immune system who's going to attack things really efficiently. But people who are a little bit more shy and a bit, uh, or people who are depressed, maybe a little bit, maybe would it diminish a bit their immune system? Oh, maybe. Because we talk about DHEA or cortisol. So we talk about the adrenal function being linked to the humoral or cellular mediated immune system. And we talked about with our expectation fulfillment theory of dream. We talk about expectation when unfulfilled are seen by your brain as a threat and it puts load to your autonomic nervous system. And after a while, you get less cortisol or less DHEA. Ah, and the DHEA and the cortisol manage your immune system. Ah. Oh, maybe there could be a link there directly, really. 
So it could be quite interesting. And it always sounds a bit far-fetched because uh, it's good to be able to be a victim. It simplifies the whole lot, really. Well, I got a me bug and I've got rheumatoid condition and poor me and which is true because it's not really nice really to have it really and it's quite it's quite painful and and it's quite restrictive in what you can do and and it's a comorbidity factor to lots of other things and the inflammation there is and things so the type of medication you're gonna get all the rest but all the attention you have to pay to that prevents you from paying attention to other things that might be as important to pay attention to in order to be understanding a bit how come it happened to you which is quite an interesting thing the epigenetic part of it and things so the wall that's another thing we could have defined it was determinism a little bit how deterministic it is so I was lifting a really heavy thing and my disc went and I'm in loads of pain in my back. So lifting creates bad back. Um, okay. I sit all day long at the desk and I've got really bad back. Sitting at desks really buggers people back. My job. My, my job, job is creating my bad back. Mm. Um, no. <laughs> nope. Sorry. Nope. Not only. Uh, more likely, the fact that you are not mitigating the effect the occupation is having onto your back is more an interesting thing because it reopens the whole thing. You have to now figure out a bit more. Mm. Compared to the conclusion you had drawn just now, it was completely closing the whole perspective. Which isn't very helpful having that closed perspective because usually... That means someone carries on blaming their job or they yeah. might change their job into something that's it. new, but it might, but they still need a job. might have the same <laughs> issues. That's it, that's and it. And pretty much no matter what job you do, you're going to have to figure out how to mitigate, up, mitigate some the, of the effect, the whole occupation you're having and the day, your eight hour a day is having on your body. And if you're not doing that, it's going to be difficult really. So the oracle says about determinism, says the doctrine that all of events, including human action, are ultimately determined by causes regarded as external to the will. That's it. Some philosophers have taken determinism to imply that individual human beings have no free will and cannot be held morally responsible for their actions. That's it. How convenient. Hmm. You might as well. That's where bridges were uh, built, I think. So you can top yourself up. You might as well, really. Because mm. well, it's not it's, my action. And it's not even your fault because you just tripped and it was. It was there. Someone, it was your left foot. Your left foot. It was your left foot fault. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's. Yeah, that's it. So there's, it, be, there's benefits to that kind of way of thinking, right? At times. At times? Yeah, why not? Why not? But, just, just like but it closes things a lot you yeah. don't have any free will and it's not your fault you have no responsibility to anything that is happening to you mm. you're just a passive receiver of events which everybody else is responsible you can blame everybody else for the whole lot and have no responsibility <laughs> for it yourself I'm, I'm not too sure if it's really helpful but that's my way of thinking. And yeah. I guess, I guess it would be great to have uh, people who really think that, to discuss them, to discuss that with them and to see how much, how fulfilling their life is in a way and how much things they have to complain about and how much things they have to complain about <laughs> compared to that's the thing really. Despite the, uh, we all, it's all going to happen to us. Mm. But feeling like you're the master of your own destiny and you're, all the, the, you're responsible for all those things is great. Oh, you're so lucky. You can, you, you're going on a holiday. You're going traveling. How lucky do you have to be to go traveling? <laughs> no, you have to put the time aside. You have to save the money. You have to know where you're going. You have to know how to pack your uh, luggage. You need to know how to get to the freaking airport, take the plane or the bus or the boat and things like that. So it's actually, you know, it's nothing to do with luck really in a way. Mm. And, and anyways, it's, yeah. 
is that way of thinking, which is really quite, uh, uh, in my very simplistic view of the whole thing, it's uh, a quite limiting view of reality. And being deterministic in your view tends to maybe not be as fulfilling. And the journey isn't really as... Because only one go at it. That's the shittiest part, really. Being deterministic, if you had 2,392 lives, not a problem. Okay? The problem is you've got only one life, as yeah. far as we're concerned, or as far as we know so far. Not many people know how many lives they've had, mm. type thing. But as far as we're concerned, we have only one life. And, and limiting the journey with a deterministic way of, doing, of thinking is... Well, maybe a bit of a shame, maybe. But there's different ways of looking at it, I guess. Always. So responsibility is the key, in my opinion, and that enables you to open up to your view of the future a little bit and, and embrace it. Take the highest load you can, the heaviest load you can. Try to move your knee to change the shape of your leg so you can put one foot in front of the other. So you do more foot, more step forwards than you do backwards. Hmm. A little bit. That'll be a good way to go. With good direction. Good direction. Be. It's not easy, but no. we've got only one go at it. That's the main thing, really. And, and if we could, maybe that's the education part of it, really. And yeah. Our course is going to be based quite a lot on that, really. It's for people who want to take responsibility and they want a little help to have a framework that makes it a little bit easier because we've gone through a bit the thinking and through the hurdles. So some of us have. Some of us do faster than others. Some of us are a bit slower at it. But nonetheless, everybody's own rhythm and having a good framework uh, to be able to deal with something as fundamental as pain and suffering to my opinion is quite an attractive uh, prospect basically it's quite an interesting prospect mm. but I'm maybe biased <laughs> about the whole thing really and maybe I'm not in enough pain to know about about it really and maybe I've not been in enough pain so we go back to what uh, Alex Stanfield our uh, uh, psychotherapist extraordinaire was talking about Caron and the wounded healer really are you good at uh, are you able to heal people if you've been really buggered yourself really you know if you're crippled really is it because you're crippled that you can help people better already mm. and you can I don't know like empathize with them and really understand them and know what they've gone through a little bit really but it's really thinking that you haven't suffered at all in your life when actually well it would be good to come go on a search really maybe and find the one person who's never suffered in his entire life really that would be quite interesting really maybe suffering is just relative to the beholder a little mm. bit really and and Alec was saying he had not he had it quite easy but maybe it's because his glass is quite half full basically and, and it's been that way for quite a while maybe and it's been that way for quite a while really yeah. and he's been taking responsibility for quite a while and he's been learning about how to deal with certain dialectic for quite a while and therefore when it when those dialectic come about it's not a problem anymore really because he knows how to deal with them that's it really so I don't know it's just mm. We tend to repeat the same thing again and again and again. Really. Yeah, but I um, think we get better at talking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Should we end it there? Yeah, perfect. Good job. Ah, oui, oui. That was a bit more uh, about definitions, but I was, uh, when I start, I can't really stop. Well, that's exactly why we do it. That's it, that's it. Otherwise, it would only be five minutes, and I'm pretty sure most people that's it, that's it. want at least an hour of listening to you. That's it, that's it. That's it. Loving it. Oh. Thanks, Alexei. No worries, thank you.